Hello, welcome to episode three of the Talking Toro podcast. This is not Rob Gilman introducing the podcast this week, uh, but rest assured Rob is with me with his dulcet Midlands tones um, to talk through Toro Inter, um, talk about our hero and villain of the week, and we'll close with a little preview to Friday evening's match in Genoa. Now, Rob, I'm going to start off with a few numbers this week. So if I said a number 35, what does that mean anything to you? Uh, would that be weeks that Torino haven't had a penalty for? No, it'd actually be the number of points both Torino and Southampton currently. <laughs> Mid-table mediocrity doubled up for you. All right, another number, and I'm not, expect- not expecting you to guess this one. This is number 62. So this is in relation to Torino and my English team, Port Vale. So 62 league matches this season, not a single penalty. Um, and I think that's a nice segue into Torino Inter, and I'll let you... Um, have a little rant at VAR. I was trying not to go straight into the um, to the VAR penalty, but we might as well we might as well start as we mean to go on. It was one of those penalties where you're so convinced that it was um, going to be awarded. I, I thought watching it live, I was like, "That's a penalty." It, some, sometimes you watch a game and you don't really see where there's a penalty incident or you think, or maybe you need a, a replay in that. I thought it was a penalty straight away as soon as I saw it. Um, Renaki clearly takes uh, Blatty's standing foot away. There's no, you, you always got to think in that situation, why would a player go to ground when he's got a free shot at goal? Um, so as a, I, I, and I tweeted it straight after. I was like, if Torino don't get a penalty here, they'll never get one. A sort of as a joke, because I was fully expecting the VAR review to come back. Um, with a penalty um, so I was very shocked when they decided not to um, not, the referee not even to look at the screen I probably don't even um, blame the referee as much as I blame the, the VAR official because he's the one who's seen it at the replays and it's his, his advice that the referee is then going off but it is I'm not a big subscriber to sort of believing that um, referees are I don't want to use the word cheats. What's a nicer word than cheats? Um, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to believe that referees always easily favor, influenced. Easily influenced. Always favour the big clubs. But it was such an important part of the game. A chance for Torino to go two 0 up. I felt that if it was the other way around, it probably would have. Been, well, it definitely would have been a penalty. I think for for every other club. In in whether it's whether it is some sort of. Uh, campaign against Torino the fact that we've not had a penalty all season in the league is borderline ridiculous for a team who create numerous chances and have had numerous opportunities for penalties so I think in the the, the politest way possible it was maybe the worst decision I've seen this season and I've watched a lot of football and I still can't understand how after seeing that replay three or four times the referee could suggest that Renakia Yes, he did get a touch on the ball because he he kicked through Velotti's leg to get that touch on the ball. Um, and I've not I've not seen one pundit who suggested that it wasn't a penalty, which is usually a good sign to know that even Inter fans are probably embarrassed that that wasn't given against them. I think, and at 2-0, given how Torino played in that first half, I think the game probably would have been over. How about yourself? 
Yeah, I think there's a few things to break down. I mean, if you read Gazzetta dello Sport today, which is an Urbana Cairo newspaper, then yeah, they've they've been at the referee. Um, yeah, pretty cool. It was the headline this morning, and um, it's it's kind of been the front story on the, on the site all day. So. Yeah, there's a few things to break down. I mean, this being Italy, I'm half expecting them to still award. I mean, it might be the VAR still reviewing the penalty. And, uh, you know, tomorrow afternoon or something, the players will be back on the pitch. But, yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a few... Uh, there's nothing more boring than fans complaining about decisions not going against their team. But, it, you know, there is a bit of a pattern now. Last week, there was a non-award of a what would have been a freak penalty at Bologna. Then there was the very marginal call against Venezia to rule out the goal in injury time. So even just taking the sample size of the last few weeks, we've been very unfortunate. Yesterday, I have no idea why they've not given that. There was one explanation that the VAR officials had a different view or not the same view we were seeing, but quite frankly, I don't believe that. Um, this, yeah, I, I mean, the referee... The referee can make a mistake he may not have had a great view the ball did roll um and Rilocchio Rilocchio was quite clever in you know in pointing to pointing to the ball um so the referee can make a mistake and I think generally referees have just sometimes take the easy easy option because they they know there's going to be um you know there's going to be someone there to cover what they're doing uh but the fact that yeah he didn't go to the monitor which they do quite a lot in Italy um, and it, you know they moved on from it relatively quickly. I mean, compared to that, do you remember the offside in in Roma earlier in the season it took about forty minutes? Seems to take forty minutes. The Venezia thing took six or seven minutes, and this one it wasn't. You know, it it was just very very strange. Yeah. And there's, there's a group of Torino fans that are saying that now we don't want any penalties this season because because <laughs> at least you know at least we'll, it, we'll we'll have it'll be another record we could have. But it's almost a badge of honor now. We don't want your penalties. Um, Unfortunately, the probably, way we that... probably would we probably would have missed probably would have missed it anyway. So um, unfortunately, yeah. the way that Italian football works, I just I, I had I did have a feeling that we would get some sort of decision in the second half, um, some sort of magical penalty. Um, but we we didn't even manage to get that, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if Torino get a penalty next oh, week. We'll get, we'll get and, four penalties. We'll get four penalties in Genoa or something. Yeah, yeah and, be, and, uh, they'll, and they'll all be they'll all be marginal fifty fifty calls, which which it it that leaves a, a bad and it does happen. Uh, a, a lot of times, it happens in the same game. Referees will will realise they've made a mistake and try and even that up, which which doesn't mean it should happen, but. You, you can sort of understand why that does. If if a team's got away with one, then the next fifty fifty call maybe they'll they'll tie they'll side with the, the team who didn't get the last decision. But say Torino do get a fifty fifty penalty against Genoa and then that decides the game. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that because whilst obviously I'd be happy that Torino have got the decision, Genoa are fighting for their lives albeit quite dully with the, with the succession of draws which we'll get on to. I'd be absolutely delighted if that happens. I mean, Genoa, I've not got that awful president anymore, but yeah, I, I, um, I'd be quite happy to see us beat Genoa with a dodgy penalty, and there'll be, I just, there'll, I just, there'll, be I, there'll be no guilt from from me. I see. I, I, I've got a friend who's fought Genoa, so I'd, I, I, I would feel guilty. Um, some, some of my best friends are Genoa fans too, as well. <laughs> that, that doesn't change that. But yeah, it's it just it it took. Well, I, and maybe I'll get on to the rest of the game now, to be honest. And I'll start with the positives. Um, 
watching it felt like to me and I, I tried to I did go to look this up and and then I got bored, so I stopped. But it felt to me that Torino haven't had a Sunday night game all season. A Sunday night seven forty five game where like uh watching on BT Sport where Galazzo do the the sort of big build up with uh, James Richardson and James Thorncastle. And it felt like this was the first time I'd watched Torino do this. And I can't remember if, I don't know if that's true or whatever, but it, it felt like a big game. It felt like the first sort of real big game. Um, at the Stadio Grande Torino, the, the crowds were there, where obviously attendances have been quite, quite disappointing this season. A lot of Italian sort of commentators get a bit of a uh, tough tough ride in, in this country, especially in the UK. People criticise them quite a lot, but I thought the comment, commentary team of um, Adam Summerton and Don Hutchinson were really good and made it feel like a really big deal. It made it felt like a, an Italian football game of old in, in a way where it was uh, into the champions going for the Scudetto coming up against the Torino side who gave absolutely everything albeit the the best they can hope for really maybe is a ninth ninth place finish and, and that was the positives I thought of the game I thought it was a really good game and it was a shame that the penalty incident is probably going to be what's talked about most I thought for UK viewers it was especially for, for the neutral or for a, a Torino fan or Inter fan they probably would have really enjoyed that game until for Torino, maybe until the last two minutes. Um, so, it, and if you actually look at the second half chances, Torino had their chances to sort of extend their lead with uh, Brecklow having that really good chance. We're not sure why we, we didn't shoot maybe a little bit earlier. I thought Itzo came on. Uh, I had to look this up because it's it felt like an eternity since he played in the league because it sort of dropped down the pecking order and he'd actually not played more than 10 minutes in a league game since August. He played, he's played seven minutes hasn't he, in the league yeah. since, since and, the and, week. And I actually thought he came on and played really well. Had a chance to had a chance to score as well. Um, and with, I think I think Zima's might be the flu so so I expect him to be back soon. But if, if Gigi's out, I, I've never really understood why Juric uh, doesn't fancy it so because whilst he is sometimes a bit reckless and, and gung-ho in, in that sort of back three where the centre-backs do go a bit wide and, and are got licence to go forward, I think it so probably would suit that quite well. Um, so I'm not sure whether it's, it's just something Juric doesn't like about him or, or what it might be. Um, but yeah, I was impressed with his performance and it was just a shame that Torino didn't get that second goal because I always felt that the Inter were going to score um Jeke missed two unbelievable chances by his standards. And then in the sort of injury time, Sanabria doesn't hold the ball up effectively enough. And and I think if we if we talk about Bellotti having one of his poorer games against Bologna last week, I thought he was very good leading the line up front against Torino. I can't remember. It seems like every game that Bellotti plays for Torino, one of the other centre backs gets booked. There's always a challenge on Bellotti where he's sort of being pulled back or he's he's always being kicked, and, and that was no different in this game. And I think Torino probably needed that second goal and, and had our opportunities, and, and unfortunately, Inter came back and got and got the goal as that I say deserved. I think on, on the second half chances they probably deserved it, but I think Torino also nobody could have had any complaints that they won the game. Yeah, I think there's a lot of points on your list that I actually. 
as I noted down, I thought the commentary was very, I think Don Hutchinson's a very good co-commentator. It's very enthusiastic, um, very quite perceptive as well. And uh, he'd done our game earlier in the season away at Roma. I don't think that was a really late kickoff, but it was a maybe the uh, um, tea time game on the Sunday. Um, but yeah, no, that was very good. I just, I felt Torino played with, I mean, where was that? It's quite simplistic to say, look, where was that side for the last five or six weeks? The high energy, the legs, the enthusiasm, um, because partly it's the opposition, partly it's the occasion, partly it's just the state of form of the players as well. Uh, but it was great to see with, you know, with those three, well, yeah, the three, having the three centre-backs who, you know, bit, bit away um, at the opposition forwards had created a kind of um, quite a high line. And really pressed them hard. And Pobega had um, had one of his best, better games for a while. He's, he's kind of found his, his energy in verve again. Thought Brecolo on the whole played well. There was that um, opportunity to start the second half where it was a bit like the Bologna game. He had a, a similar kind of opening where he should have he should have um, passed it left to Mandragora, um, who probably would have been in in for two 0 uh, But he he did very well as well. Inter, I don't think they deserved a point. Um, partly just, I just think the relative values of the two teams as well. I think Torino played a tactically almost perfect match. Uh, I felt the Pabega chance at the end was a very big opportunity as well. And then obviously Sanabria got hammered and yes, he he, he was weak. Um, he should have been stronger in that situation. But I also think there's a, the defence parted um, to let Jacko, I thought was a, on the whole their best player despite the missed chances, and, and it was quite well worked. But the, there was a big hole in our defence I thought there shouldn't have been, and I think it was partly born of the fact that Juric does like to change his centre backs quite a lot mid game, and I think that's something the five substitutions allows you. I think it's a bit of a a new phenomenon in in football in general. But obviously we lost Gigi. It's like he doesn't trust Bonjour enough to play the play the ninety minutes. Um, and then, yeah, there's two things there. I thought Itzo did really well, and I think Itzo has been treated fairly scandalously the last two seasons. But, you know, Gianpaolo left him out because he didn't fit the system. He came in and was probably a big part of the, the turnaround last season. And then it felt a little bit like this season would be similar. He'd be kind of ostracised and brought in, but he just hasn't been brought in. I mean, Juric had him at Genoa, so there's a relationship there. But he doesn't seem to, he seems to, you know, from the outside, seem to remain very professional and positive. And when he came on, he made a big impression. But yeah, I mean, Juric just sees it as that's Gigi's position. Zima's the backup. I mean, Itzo is third in line. Um, and he's very specific way he wants his defenders to play. So uh, yeah, I just felt at the end, I felt at the end it was just maybe a little bit of defensive, slight defensive disorganisation of people not, you know, not especially some of the subs who came on, not maybe not being in the right position. Um, but yeah, this is an inevitability. About 88 minutes, I started pacing around my living room, which I always do when we're in this kind of situation, and it it, it didn't surprise me. It didn't it didn't surprise me that we when Jacko missed that late chance, commentators were always like, "Oh, well, that's the last last chance." No way, that was going to be the last chance. It was there was always going to be one more chance. But yeah, I mean, to be 90 seconds away from having played well. I think it would have been, you know, we've been looking to have a bit of sense in this season and I think to, to have beaten one of the, to, the big boys would have just given given us, maybe it was a bit of a kickstart going to the final third of the season, given us a bit of a statement to say, OK, we're making good progress. We've, you know, we've had a bad, bad 
five or six weeks, but now um, let's kick on and let's hope the performance at least gives us a bit. We'll talk about Genoa later, but a bit of momentum now going into into those games rather than that late goal deflating us and 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 and, and going there and continuing a quite a bad run of results. But I yeah, think on the whole, positive. We've somehow managed to talk about the whole game without mentioning uh, the, the goal scoring hero. And again, just, just I think I don't, don't think we say it often enough to what a good player Bremer is. Obviously, scoring the goal is, I think there's a stat about he's scored the most. I think he's got eleven goals in the in the past three or four seasons, which is the most for a defender in Serie A, which always helps chip in with goals. But I thought his his, his whole performance was was outstanding, especially in the first half. Number of times where he came came up to the halfway line to intercept the ball, always on the front foot, always looking to be positive. He's got excellent positioning sense, excellent excellent speed if he needs it. He's strong in the air, and it's probably very likely that he's going to leave the club at the end of the season. And it's it's probably a bit of a tribute to him as a as a character and as a player that he's signed a new contract to to ensure that Torino get the highest possible fee and. I don't think in, in in football as it is today, where there isn't really much loyalty, I think that's a, a very nice uh, thing for for a player who's not not Italian, not a Torino fan. Uh, would probably it's probably cost himself money because he'd probably get a better sign on fee and better wages had he he waited for his contract to expire. Uh, and I would it. it it was one of the performances which which makes me think. It obviously he's, he's kept uh, Vlajevic quiet uh, twice, once for Fiorentina, once for Juve. But it, again, one, one of the best performances I think I've seen for a centre back for a, v- a very long time. And it, when that time does come for him to be to be sold, I think his price is just continuing to go up and up and up, and and that can only be a good thing for Torino. Yeah, I think from a selfish Torino fan point of view, one thing we hope that can happen is if he gets a call up to the Brazil squad because I think that will really add a couple of million to his market value to be honest they, they, think, must, have, they yeah. must have some very good centre-backs if he doesn't get in the squad already um, but I, th- I think that is something which he is looking for it and unfortunately it's probably something he would need to 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 move on before he before he gets that recognition but uh, I, again I don't I don't claim to watch every game in, in Serie A but I can't think of many centre-backs that I've seen who are consistently as good as Bremer. And if you think of just when he came to the club, he, he we may come on to this character to a while back, but, but Lianco was, was the player who there was a lot of talk about, there was a lot of hype over, and Bremer was sort of almost an afterthought. And I don't even think he was the first choice centre-back that they were going to bring in from Brazil. There was, a, there was another player who... They they had been trying to sign all see, all summer that fell through and then Bremer came in, very rarely played at the start, but he just um, he just sort of put his, he's obviously kept his head down, trained hard. He, he speaks very positively with Mazzari in in the way that he's taught him how to become a, a defender in Italy, and he just goes from strength to strength. Yeah, I think there's a quite a good um, comparison there between. Bremer Lianco. Bremer came in, he waited a long time and then he made some pretty costly mistakes, yeah. probably in his first 15, 20 games, picking up a, a couple of red cards early in matches for, for double for, for two for two bookings. But he's he's gone away, he's worked hard, he's listened to his coaches. 
Um, he's he's just improved week on week. Um, he's just is such an aggressive, proactive centre half. And he said, when you've got someone who's that dangerous in in the opposition box, I think um, there probably is some kind of. There's definitely an agreement with him that he can leave um, probably this summer. Um, and, and, and yeah, if the, like I said, if you can get a call up to the Brazil squad, it, it, even as a Torino fan, to have a have a player in a Brazil squad is always quite special. Going back to Lianco, yeah, Lianco was the opposite. Lianco came with with the hype and and his you know his two footed tackles in pre season and um, his Instagram posts and the rest. But I, I don't think I've met a, if um, the ability of a footballer was judged on Instagram posts, then Lianco would be the best footballer in the world. I think. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on. To, we'll come on to Lianco one day because with him now playing for Southampton, I think. But there was, yeah, the time Lianco went to Bologna on loan from Torino, uh, played probably his best match in Serie. A. Of course, he got sent off in that same match as well because <laughs> uh, he can never he, he he can never be completely competent for ninety minutes. But but then makes some idiotic Instagram posts about you know Bologna beating. But, you know, Bologna beating the, the team effectively paying his wages. And it's, yeah, I mean, no, I've got no time for Lianco. So, I'd love to say he's changed his ways, but he, um, yeah, he, he will have 65 minutes of competence and then and then 25 minutes of, ah, this is why Torino started him. Yeah, well, as, lo- as long as Bremer doesn't end up um, with the stripes down the road, then um, I think we'll all... We'll all kind of wish him well with with, with where wherever he decides to go. Exactly, so. I think I think he will be especially signing that that new contract, which which will in all reality double the amount of money that Torino can get for him, having having two years on his contract rather than one. I think he'll be held in, uh, providing he doesn't go go over the road. I think the affection that that Torino fans will have for him, just based on the fact that he, the improvement that you've seen from the the player at the start, usually Torino will have a player, and straight away you'll be like, they're a star, they're going to be, they're going to be a good player in the future. Bremer's emergence has, has come almost out of nowhere, which which makes it even more satisfying, I think. No, exactly. I think um, well, it's probably a nice moment to to touch on your hero of the week, and uh, because Bremer may well be. May well be a Torino legend of the future. Uh, before I do that, so last week we discussed, uh, I nominated Marco Ferrante, and then one of your questions, very good observations last week, was Ferrante's famous celebration of the ball. Has have any Torino players uh, since done it? And then a couple of the listeners. So Daniel Papalardo came in with um, Giulio Abagua, um, who was the striker we had what, in the... Early Ventura years, who was a Torino fan. Um, and then Jacopo Formia came in with uh, Gian Mario Comi as well, who was another, I believe, Torino fan, Torino youth product. I think in both of those cases, they possibly did the celebration whilst at other clubs, which is somehow, yeah, some way more impressive than doing it as a Torino player as well. Um, so, yeah, great feedback, um, filling, filling in the gaps in our memories as well. The dream for me would be a Torino fan. I thought Aramu might do it when he scored for Venezia against Juve. Would be for a Torino fan to score a goal against Juve and do the bullhorns. Um, Aramu definitely was was tempted by it. I think yeah, I remember he didn't he scored his first Serie A goal for Venezia in the game against Torino uh, and then didn't celebrate, which I thought was a nice tribute for for somebody which sort of shows how much that moment must have meant to him. 
Yeah, and I, I've got to confess when 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 Maresca did it for you for Juve, it never angered me because actually it felt like it, that edge in a derby. I want to see. I want I want to know they annoy us, and I want to know, you know, we're we're, we're in their psyche. I don't like it when they when we get the patronising Marquisio Buffon comments and and uh, you know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't even following. I wasn't even following yeah. Torino. It still. It still annoys me. I still dislike Maresca to this day. No, I mean Maresca. Would, yeah, we, when we tried to sign Maresca, there was um, let, let's say quite a revolt. But yeah, I mean, I would not say I've got a lot of time for Maresca, but it, it there's there's other things that have happened in Turin derbies which have annoyed me a lot more than um, you know some a Juventus player not having enough creativity to come up with their own celebrations. So. Uh, but anyway, you're going to talk about someone who celebrated a lot of goals for Torino. It's a, bit, a little bit your your version of my Ferrante, so I'll let you take it away. Well, anybody, again, everybody who knows a, a little bit about myself will, will know that I do somewhat idolise this man. I think he he was a Torino... Goal, I'll start, actually, for Orlando Bianchi. And he... His spell at Torino is probably not the best spell. A lot of Serie B in there. But he, for for a long time, he was sort of, he was he was Torino to me. He was he was the one player who you, you sensed in the Serie B days could, could go a step up and, and go back into Serie A, which, he, which he'd been playing in previously. And it, part, part of the reason I love Bianchi so much was that he, he did score every goal like Michael Tadelli in the World Cup final in 1982, like every goal seemed impressive to him, whether it was against, I don't think he ever scored against Juve, but whether it was, whether it was a goal in against Inter or Milan, or whether it was a goal against Gubbio in Serie B, every goal seemed to mean the same to him. Uh, and it, I actually remembered when we came to sign him, obviously he'd gone to Manchester City uh, from Regina uh, and he was one of uh, Svenger and Eriksson's sort of first purchases. And I remember sort of watching him in the in the Premier League and thinking, this guy's uh, probably not going to make it. Uh, I think he, scored, he might have scored in his debut against West Ham, but he never really kicked on from there. And in the January transfer window, he was linked to, to sign him for Torino. And again, at the time, getting access to Torino games was quite difficult, even though we were in Serie A. And he actually turned us down, I believe, and, and went to Lazio on loan and then got sent off against Torino five minutes into his debut. So yeah, it's a bit was, of it. It was, yeah, was a, sorry to cut it, but I was in no Rome for, uh, in a bar with, with Lazio, uh, a lot of Lazio fans when that match was on. Yeah, Bianchi turned, it was one of those protected things. Torino literally had, had his signature. Last minute, he decided to go to Lazio. He got, I can't remember too many of a opposition players getting such abuse um, when he came on. And I think he almost walked onto the pitch and thought, I've joined the wrong team. And he got two silly yellow cards in four well, minutes. I, well, I've, and, I've, watched, I've, watched, I've watched it back. And the first, the first challenge is one of the worst challenges I think I've ever seen in, in the fact that there just seems to be no point there. It's just super late and, and just super unnecessary. And I think he's come onto the pitch and, and the fans are booing him in a, I just think he's whether he's thought I've made a terrible, terrible mistake or he's just sort of not really taken to it because he so, always just seemed to me a bit of a, a genial character which people play people wouldn't usually boo and he'd, he, whether that just affected him 
Um, I think, to be fair, the second yellow card, I think, is a little bit harsh. It's it's not an elbow. It's more just like a flailing arm to to the face. And I think it's actually Paolo Zanetti who, um, who goes down and and gets um, Bianchi sent off. So it's a bit of a, a strange start to to a Toro hero um, piece. But I just think if you look at the numbers, 180 games, 77 goals, 10th on the all-time uh, goal scorer's record for Torino. And weirdly, his worst scoring season, I think, for Torino was actually in the season that we got promoted under Ventura, where he was sort of, I think there was definitely a breakdown in the relationship between Ventura and Bianchi, and and that was probably uh, highlighted with the fact that when he left the club and and his contract wasn't renewed, Ventura didn't start him in, in his in his final game against Catania, but I think there was definitely a bond between the the player and club, which was probably the first one of those that I've I'd seen as a Torino fan. If you think sort of going from two thousand and five onwards, uh, Alessandro Rosina was was my first Torino hero, and he may get mentioned at a later date. But I never really felt there was that affinity uh, as much with the fans and, and him with the club uh, as much. I, I just felt that Bianchi loved Torino and uh, and I, re- I can remember watching a interview with Bianchi after I think we lost 2-0 at home to Padova which mathematically meant we weren't able to get into the Serie B playoffs and there, he was being interviewed and, and you could just see the tears in his eyes and you could just see that he'd, he'd been in the change rooms he'd been crying and it was just like that was probably how I felt but probably didn't take it to that extreme because I was more than used to disappointment with, with Torino at that point. But that sort of realization that you were going to play another another season in Serie B, and and he would have had offers to 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 join Serie A clubs, and, and he turned them down. Um, and I, I think that for, for for obviously the goals the goals helps, even though it was at a, at a lower level, and it's very unlikely that somebody's going to take his place in that top 10 for for a long time. I think he he definitely earns his spot as a as a Toro hero. Yeah, I know you've got a you've always had a lot of love for Bianchi and it's it's a lot of it's relative as well to your experience he was the first one of the first players to really perform in a Torino shirt, you know, from if you were starting to support as you were in back 2005, 2006. I think there's Torino've been quite lucky the last two or three captains have had a real attachment affiliation with the club, even if they've not been players who've come through the, the youth system. So if you look at Cam Glick, I think it was quite similar. He's, you know, he's, he's probably yeah, very, very attached to the club. But Belotti, you get that sense as well. He understands the club um, and, and Bianchi, Bianchi before that. So we have uh, just all three of them, are very honorable characters and, um, just sort of the sort of characters you like to have a like to have as captain. So I think Bianchi, the the, the man, um, kind of excellent role med- model, very clean cut, um, but a lot of pa- you know a lot of passion, a lot of grin grinta when he played. Um, he he tended to score the worst Torino were the more goals he tended to score, and I think that's to an extent because the team were built more around him. Um, I guess when we when we were kind of less creative, you look at his goals. There's so many of them were, uh, I'd call them Ansaldi crosses, Ansaldi style crosses, um, kind of like d- deep crosses into the box. And he was so good in his air and in the air of his head, or or quite acrobatic as well. 
And I think you got onto Ventura and Ventura. Yeah, he had a, quite a difficult relationship with Ventura. But when, when Ventura came in, he had this four-two-four for a while, which there wasn't the same kind of crosses going into the box. It was a little bit more, uh, almost sometimes quite to the to the byline, uh, slightly speedier type of wide play. If you look at that promotion season, and we had people like Antonucci, didn't we? Skriniar, and then the wide players like Stavanovic, and it'd always be like a one kind of quite random wide player. So you had your Odumadi last week, you had uh, Juan Soraco, um, Alan Stefanovic. Um, so you had, yeah, quite quite a cast of characters. So he didn't do so well in that Serie B season because I think it was more about the system. It was all about always about the system of Ventura. He did a bit better, actually, when we came up to, to Serie A. Uh, he scored more goals in, in that final season. But if you there's something quite interesting about that Serie A season is when Bianchi starts to fade, um midway through that season just as Churchy starts to find his form and then the partnership between Churchy and and kind of Medjurini, um kicks in a little bit and then I was looking at some of the goals from that season I mean Jonathan so I'd forgot all about him but he had yeah quite a lot of random he, he went yeah, on to have yeah. quite, a, quite a decent career in Spain I think but I just remember thinking what a strange he, he was he was six foot three six foot four but but didn't play as if he was six foot three, six foot four. He he never looked like he was an aerial threat. He looked more like he liked the ball to feet, sort of like a Brazilian Peter Crouch, but a little bit shorter. But, but yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely had some, just, definitely had just, some strange players in the, in those seasons. Yeah, and I, just, I think Bianchi did get faded out. Obviously, it didn't it didn't end well with Ventura. But maybe I don't know whether Ventura was right because you look at Bianchi's career then post Torino not a lot of goals kind of one season in Serie A at Bologna uh, and then a bit of Spain a bit of Serie B um, I remember I mean I always liked him but I was never I was never too upset when he left I felt it's I felt once Ventura came in a little bit of lack of mobility and a little bit of the lack of adaption to the to the system um, meant that uh, I think it was one of the calls Ventura got right, but that's not to say, for yeah, as you said, for two or three seasons at least, he ca- he carried the team. Dare to think where we would have been without him. Um, yeah, you know, twenty-seven goals in the season. We get to the playoffs with Brescia, nineteen the season after an absolutely terrible team. Um, and yeah, he had some he had some good moments. I mean, he's first and last season in Serie A, and um, yeah, big. Um, I know he's a big hero of yours. So, uh. I, th- I think it. I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. I think it it grew and and throughout the series you probably get begin to realise I've not had the greatest sort of uh, spell as a Torino fan. I think it's sort of seventeen years and and some of those have either been sort of fighting relegation or being in Serie B. Only really two seasons. The the two sort of European qualifications, which have been means for celebration so I, I've not really had the, the same sort of heroes to pick from but but Bianchi will, will just always have a have a place in my heart just as as for that spell between sort of 2010 2012 where where Torino were were terrible the one thing you could count on was Bianchi and, and like you say without his goals we probably we probably could have been one of those sides in Serie B who who don't bounce back up, they don't, and they just stay and languish there for, for season upon season. And I think for, for that reason alone, he 
he will always, uh, yeah, he'll always be remembered fondly by myself. Good call. Good call. I think he's into his horses and wine now, isn't he? <laughs> Which is not, not a bad, not bad hobbies to have. Still a very handsome looking chap. <laughs> I think my, my villain of the week is actually also a bit of a handsome chap, but um, that'll be the only, that'd be, that'd be the only compliment he gets. It doesn't count if you do what he did. No, indeed, yeah. So I think in this villain section, we're gonna we'll attack it from a few different angles each week. But I've gone for a turncoat this week. So, um, so it's looking back. I think in the spell since the early nineties when I started following Torino, I think we've I use the word lost five brothers to Juventus. Um, so in the in the kind of mid nineties, we lost uh, Robert Yarni. Uh, Gianluca Pesotto, who went on to become a legend at Juventus, and then Luca Fusi, who was a legend at Torino, who kind of went and did a quite a strange season at Juventus. And then the only two I remember, Ogbonna obviously went later. Um, and then this one, Federico Balzaretti, left in the summer of 2005. And yeah, the reason I bring Balzaretti in because when Ogbonna left I always liked Ogbonna but I always found Ogbonna to be quite a dispassionate kind of individual um I don't remember him really kissing the badge too much maybe he didn't have much opportunity to but he just kind of he got on with his job a little bit Ogbonna um whereas Balzaretti so he was is Turin born self-professed uh Torino fan in lots of interviews he gave when when I was living there I actually have a signed picture of him as well, which uh, my my best friend who moved out to Italy when I was there got for me. So actually we might stick it up with the um, with the podcast. Um, but yeah, Bal- so Balzaretti was he understood the club. He'd come through the youth ranks. Um, he broke into the side in a relegation season, pretty bad relegation season um, in two thousand and two three. And then had a bit of a, well, I call it a breakout season, but played most of the first season back in Serie B, which was another one of those dreadful, dreadful seasons. And then it's kind of a good excuse a little bit to talk about the 2004-05 season, which was officially the last one as Torino Calcio, um, before the club um, went into some serious administ- administrative issues that summer and reformed uh, Torino Football Club. But that season, Torino built a really interesting team. They had no money. Uh, but they had a youth policy of uh, kind of players who'd come back um, from loan spell. A youth policy of the kind of turn of the century. So you had Stefano Sorrentino, who had later carved a very uh, successful Serie A career. We had Marchetti as reserve keeper. And then even a back four, we had like Comoto, Mezzano, Mantovani. Um, Qualiorella was in attack for that team with... Pinger, a Brazilian player I really liked. Um, and then, yeah, we had some kind of very interesting, more experienced players like Maratzina, Maniero, and uh, Mudingai, who was a, were Belgian, who went on to play for Lazio. But yeah, so very young team, which had the fans behind them. Um, started the season very well. Eventually, through a very late season managerial change, got to the playoffs to play Perugia. Um, Perugia, we had a little bit of re- revenge uh, for beating us in the let's call it the Tony Dorigo playoff um, a couple uh, five or six seasons before. But Balzaretti in that season was one of the, the star players. I don't think he was necessarily the most talented of left backs. 
he was he was all lungs and guts. So he used to get up that flank, make um, you know, make the most amazing last ditch recovery tackles, and then thirty seconds later be up the other end and and crossing into the box. But he was just a very dynamic player. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily the most technical player, but he was. He kind of became slowly, slowly a little bit the the fans' favourite, a little bit the kind of heartbeat of that team. He scored in the first leg of the playoff final away at Perugia, which we won, and we eventually lost the second leg one nil, but got promoted on away goals. And yeah, it was a year we had back to back Serie B playoff finals, which we won. First one to stay in Serie B because we effectively folded and and ended up back in the division. And then the season after the absolute classic game, recovery against Mantova, both played to 60,000 fans with this incredible heat in whether it was May or June, I can't remember, but amazing, a kind of it, it kind of amazing times in a way, just the kind of the, the last hurrah of the Stadio degli Alpi. But anyway, yeah, Balzaretti, very popular. We thought we were going back into Serie A, this young team of players. Then what happened that summer was... Uh, the club folded, all of the assets were released and not a single player stayed, which was yeah, some, something I was very disappointed with at the time. And now with hindsight and knowing footballers and football a little bit better, a little bit less surprised about. But it was a very long summer and there was no guarantees the club was going to reform. So yeah, the, the players all moved on. And Balzaretti, the Torino fan, the, the um, badge kisser, in very surprisingly ended up, um, at Juventus, I say very surprisingly because although he was quite highly rated w- within the club, it's not really a transfer we saw coming. Um, but yeah, he goes to Juventus, uh, which was just at, at a time, you know, we we had no club, we had no players, we had no owner, we'd effectively lost lost everything, and and it was just yeah, it was just very very. Very sickening, really, to, to to kind of for for the player who represented the the fans on the pitch most to go and join Juventus. He goes and joins Juventus. He has a season in Serie A and takes him down to Serie B because of Calciopoli. So <laughs> there you go, revenge is uh, something about um, yeah, sweet revenge because Torino get Torino get promoted, Juve go down, and he ends up carving. He he became an Italian international and became a very good kind of Serie A left back at particularly at Palermo. But yeah, Balzaretti was, um, he's my villain of the week, just mainly for that one act and uh, one dreadful act of, of joining the stripe. So I remember this, this was, so this would have been really that 2005 season is, is the season before I sort of discovered Torino and, and was aware of it and actually read about Balzaretti and that season where, Obviously, they they get promoted and then the promotion is sort of denied and then they have to rebuild in Serie B in your book, funnily enough. And uh, that is still available, I believe, Passion in the Piazza, if anybody is uh, wanting to to read a little bit more about Torino in in this period. And and that was the overriding feeling for, for myself, even though it was in an era that I didn't support Torino. I, as soon as reading that and, and understanding the history and, and Balzaretti coming through the youth ranks and, and being a Torino legend. He was a bit of being a Torino fan and one who could have gone on to become a legend that to me, even though it wasn't at the time where I was watching the games or it was a time where technically I was, was a fan. I just, I just grew up having that 
having that dislike towards him and ever ever since every game that I'd I'd watch him play, you just sort of I think in that situation where sort of Torino went bankrupt and, and the players were, were free to find new clubs, what surprised me was how many of them took took on that opportunity rather than sort of staying and, and be becoming an even more even an even bigger hero or uh legend at the club by, by choosing to stay even though they had the option to leave even though that would have been uncertainty and like you say I think sort of romance is is getting in the way of sort of reality and, and professional footballers have got to treat it as any other job and, and do what you, what you or I would do in that situation even if it wasn't football but I think it, for the career he, he went on to have which which like you say was a, a decent career has he had he stayed at Torino and and just tried to get and been in the team that got us back up? He would be somebody who would could have been a Torino left back for for ten fifteen years and, and would have been looked on really fondly. So I suppose you, you you have some sense of of regret of what could have been, but I think if you're going to make that decision to to join Juventus, especially in those circumstances, you you've got to sort of not really care what what anybody thinks and, and ultimately money or or whatever it might have been at the time it has been the main factor in that decision. Yeah, I mean I think it, his defense was his his wife at the time was pregnant and he didn't he didn't, didn't want to leave leave Turin. Uh that's I mean that summer was quite it was quite complex in that it took a long time for Torino to uh, put a situation to sort itself out. It was a whole cast of very kind of um undesirable characters. Um <laughs> kind of in the for, in the foreground for a lot for a lot of that summer. So yeah, I mean ultimately the play the players moving on, not a surprise. But I just remember the last last image of Balzaretti as a Torino player was after beating Perugia, standing on the on the ball we have um in front of the Cordova in nothing but his underpants, jumping on the ball. And then yeah, just to go from that image of joy to yeah, the kind of the kind of image of him joining Juventus was just I think just in the context of everything that had happened that summer it was just a bit of pill to swallow um I think in a different context it, it you know we wouldn't have liked it but we would have we would have gone got on with it a bit more but yeah um there's quite a nice uh quite a nice symmetry there between the the Torino hero and villain this week because I believe you'll also be able to find images of uh, Rolanda Bianchi in his underpants uh, climbing on the ball after the uh, Serie B promotion uh, clincher against Modena. So there's there's one nice image and one sort of sour taste in the mouth. But yeah. but, st- but still, the ball the ball remains central to to both images. That, that balls are all kinds of people on it, isn't it? <laughs> but I guess yeah, a bit. Of, I guess a bit of a segue into the the Genoa match because I don't think there's another club we have had so many transfer dealings with over the last 10 years and Genoa have been a great supermarket for us. I mean, we've picked up so many players considering how bad Genoa have been uh, over, probably over the last decade. The, the amount the, of players we, we've picked up who've turned out to be very good for Torino is... Um, and the best part is that, that players will leave Torino to go to Genoa and be terrible. Yeah. Uh, so great. it's a very one-way supermarket. It, it's it's one where we're very, very happy with it and, and Genoa maybe not so much. Uh, and and funnily enough, I, this is sort of with my Genoa Genoa sporting friends. It's like an inside joke we have with Torino Torino's uh, 
sort of transfer dealings is just looking at, at Genoa's Wikipedia page and seeing who's available and and more recently it's been vice versa uh, and I gave myself five minutes on the train to try and find a, a combined 11 who've played for both sides in the last 10 years and I've, I managed to I managed to do it very quickly Sirigu Ipso Maximovic Moretti Ansaldi Rincon Mandragora Baraka Falke Pellegri Immobile uh, you threw in Churchy uh, which I totally forgot had a spell and probably one of his, his greatest moments for in the Torino shirt was actually against Genoa uh, and then Rubinho as a, as a backup goalkeeper but th- there, there must probably you could probably make two teams of, of ex-Genoa and ex-Torino players even in the last yeah. sort of 10-15 years which which is exceptional really It's Yeah, it's very strange to be got Juric and Nicola as coaches as well um, You'd have Juric at the yeah. start of the season um, and then when things go a little bit flat get Get Nicola in just to uh, Nicola in just to uh, make sure you, you stay clear of relegation. No, absolutely crazy. Considering the, the relationship, I mean, we used to be twins with with Genoa until that, which, which is ruined match. ruined by Thiago Mata and Diego Milito in in two thousand and nine. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think uh, as a Torino fan, I'm a little bit embarrassed about our our behavior. Our behavior <laughs> how, how dare how dare Genoa try and how qualify t- for the Champions League? Yeah, our, our whole behaviour around that was not not our finest hour. But yeah, that kind of it that that signalled the end of uh, of yeah the kind of the friendship between Torino and Genoa, and then Cairo and and Preziosi never had a very good, very, never never very good relationship. And that's probably to Cairo, once for once to Cairo's credit. Um, I remember when they beat us five one, uh, kind of an end of season e game, um, and they 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 the kind of um, their staff were given the five fingers to to Cairo and Petraki at the time. And, I, th- I think we still had yeah. a chance of qualifying for Europe in that season, uh, and it was it was sort of April or, and it came out of nowhere. It was, it was one of those games where you you expect to go in and put in a good performance, and there was still a chance of qualifying for Europe. And by the end of it, you you start to kick yourself and why why on earth did you get so excited because this is Torino that you're watching, and nice things just don't happen to us. No, but generally recent seasons, I've, I kind of recorded Genoa's improved quite a bit. And they're obviously, it's quite well documented now. They're on the run of seven draws in a row under this, under, under blessing the, the kind of new coach. Seven draws, five of them have been nil-nil. Um, so they've gone from being very porous to being quite solid, uh, but not not really having a goal threat. I will stick my neck out. I don't think it'll be a draw on Friday. I, I think Genoa need to go, obviously go win a game. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I can see, uh, get, I'd be interested to see what our mentality is as well, but I don't, I don't think it'll be a draw. I think maybe it will play in our favour of being able to play a bit on, on the counter-attack or uh, it might be one of those games where we'll go away from home, we go goal down and we just, we, we we can't find a way back into it, but I think I I just don't think a draw. I don't think a draw suits either team really. I think we we need to go out and we've got away games now in in Genoa and away at Salernitana. Let's go and let's go and kind of get some confidence back, get some results back. And I think looking at the league table, they need to they really need to win this game. So I think it's set up Friday evening. I think it's set up to be quite probably quite an exciting match. Um, I'm not going to let you make the prediction. Oh, I've made a prediction I, that it won't be a draw. But. Yeah, I think I think five nil nil draws out of seven 
is remarkable, even more remarkable when Sirigu's in goal, who, who barely kept a clean sheet in two seasons for Torino. Uh, he he may be a character that we we discuss because he's very fondly thought of at Torino for for a number of years, and towards the end of his of his spell, maybe. Um, his, his form dropped so dramatically, and he was probably becoming a hindrance to the team. But then, in the in the sort of penultimate game of, of last season, made a made a brilliant performance against Lazio, which which ultimately kept us in the league. So, I think, like you say, I can't see that. I can, logically, you're thinking this is going to be a draw, uh, and I'm going to make that prediction. But I'm going to go and throw the form book out the window and say it will be an entertaining three three draw. Uh, whereas Genoa finally remember how to score goals, and Torino uh, remember blow a three blow a three nil lead. Yeah, but let's not let's not say that. But um, but yeah, I just I just think that, um, like you say, Genoa need to start winning games. Torino, whether there's the uh, my my concern against the the inter the inter game last last night is going to be. They go on a bit of a slump like they did when they considered late against Sassuolo, and and whether whether that might play into to generous hands and that, and they'll sort of think this is this is one of the games that we need to win if we're going to get out of relegation trouble. But I will wear, I'll go for an entertaining. I'll, maybe maybe three three was a little optimistic. I'll go maybe two two. Now you've said it now three three. Well, um, yeah, get the beers and popcorn ready then for. for Friday evening. So. It, it may be a rare, it may be a rare Torino game that I miss, unfortunately. But I, um, I will, I will make the decision. I'm not sure I'm not quite as disciplined as you, where I can, I can go the whole evening without knowing what the score is, because I, I, I'm usually attached to my phone, just, just waiting to, to find out as soon as possible if, if a goal has gone in. So it may be one of those ones where, if it's a good result, I might go back and watch it, and if it's a bad result, I'll just forget, forget it's happened and let you talk to me about it uh, next week. There we go. Well, let's reconvene next week and Forza Toro. Forza Toro.